by the expression on some of your faces. Um, for some of you, it went sideways in, uh, in some respects. Uh, and, and I think it might be worth asking, might be worth contemplating why. Uh, what happened to cause that uh, holiday celebration to go sideways, to go not the way you wanted, not the way you, you expected? What happened? Well, in many cases... We did. We went sideways. And so it did too. Uh, we uh, were distressed over the outcome, over the flow of events in the gift exchange. We're discombobulated about who did and didn't, wasn't able to come. Uh, distressed, um, undone perhaps by topics raised at the dinner table wishing certain things had and had not been said. And then, before it's all over, we find ourselves gorged by too much food, too much drink, and too many bills. And now, even now, we're tired of 2022. And you have to ask yourself some questions um, in terms of what's going on here? Why is this all going sideways? These expectations that I have, these longings that I have. What's going on here? And it really fundamentally has to do with a, a misplaced identity. I know that sounds like a strange answer to that question, but we're going to get there, so hang with me. It has to do with a misplaced understanding as to who we are and some of the most essential things in life. Uh, we're going to be talking over the next few minutes about a, how shall I say, much neglected but really essential teaching concept in the Christian faith, and it's known as union with Christ. Union with Christ. Now, this, this study, this message, this time over the next few minutes is meant to be a follow-up, actually, to our Advent series. So what was that, you may be wondering in case you, you forgot, because that was last year, right? So... Um, that was the idea was, the Advent series was the gifts that Jesus gives us, if you will, in Christmas. These great, magnificent things that he has bestowed upon us. Justification, sanctification, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, authority in spiritual uh, conflict. Those are, 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 are massively important, but the question that we've got to ask, and this is where we're going here this morning, is this. How do those things become ours? How is it that, that those are bestowed upon us and that, that we actually can say, yes, I am justified, sanctified, and dwell by the Spirit, and I have authority in spiritual conflict? How can we say that? Here's the answer. Union with Christ. And that's actually the only answer to that question. It's the only answer to that question. Union with Christ is how those things can, and not just can, but are, are in fact ours as disciples of Jesus. If you have a Bible, uh, go with me to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 15 through 21 and drilling down deep and hard on one verse, verse 20. But we need to read verses 15 through 21, Galatians 2. If you're trying to find that in your Bible, it's in the New Testament. It's after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and what? John. Very good. Uh, Acts, 
Then the New Testament epistles, the letters begin with Romans and the first and second book of Corinthians and then Galatians, okay? If you hit Ephesians, you've gone, it's a great book, you've gone too far. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. I think it's on the screen. Yeah, it's going to be on the screen. Uh, Hear now the word of God. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ... We too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Can we pray for a minute? Lord, thank you for this time. Uh, Thank you for a warm, dry place to be on a cold, wet morning. And thank you that we are not just in our comfortable homes, that we we are here, uh, here together in this place on Rossview Road and uh, not just here by ourselves, but here together with brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, fellow disciples, followers of you, and each and every single one of us in need of transformation and change and growth, each and every single one of us in different ways in need of deep, heartfelt comfort and deep, heartfelt challenge and conviction, every single one of us in some, some way. Uh, and you know what that would be. And so we are committing this time, really just laying it before you and entrusting our very selves, not just this time, but our very selves into your hands, our hearts into the skill of the heart surgeon who alone can see and alone can heal. And we pray for these things in your name. Amen. So we have a, a serious problem, a serious problem. We could go so far as to say a well-nigh, nearly, well-nigh fatal flaw, mixing the metaphors, a fatal flaw in the very foundation of our faith. And it, it's caused by, I know most of us have put away our Christmas decorations, most of it, maybe not all of it, Uh, We actually still have our wreaths on the front of the house and the lights just because of the weather and such. We just haven't been able to get to it. So, you know, it's okay. At least it is for us. At least it is for me. Um, But uh, most of the decorations have been put away. But, of course, you may have some memories of the jolly old elf of St. Nicholas. And maybe we'll say St. Nick. Here's the, the, the flaw, the problem, the struggle that we have. When we equate Santa Claus with Jesus... I'm not slamming Santa Claus. That's not my point. Um, I'm simply saying we confuse the traditions surrounding Santa Claus with the reality of who Jesus is 
and why he has come and the significance of that, we've got a huge problem. Think with me about St. Saint Saint Nick, Santa Claus, and, and what that's all about. He comes, he shows up, he drops off his stuff, and he's gone, and we're good with that. Because we want, what we want with Santa Claus is not a relationship with him, but acquisition from him. We're good so long as he brings the gifts. We want what he's got. And that's all we want with Santa Claus. That's not how it's meant to work with Jesus. Jesus comes for a completely different reason, with a completely different gifts in mind, himself. He is the gift. He is the gift. And when we lose sight of that, we've lost sight of everything. When we put an emphasis upon the gifts that he brings over the giver himself, which takes us into our text here this morning. Now, uh, Paul is, is, this is, I was, even the very passage itself would say nothing of the, the verse that I want to drill down on. What we're getting into here is, is Paul is exploring, he's pressing into the realities of, of the, how it is that we are secured before God, the great solas of the, the way the reformers put it, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul is driving on that point here in the midst of that larger topic. He makes an even larger point, alludes to this, and that is God has made us one with Christ. God has made us one with Christ. All those gifts, alluded to those earlier, right? Justification, sanctification, and dwelling of the Spirit, authority and spiritual conflict, all those things and everything else that, we ha- that, that come to us as believers, followers of Jesus, only come because out of, as a consequence of, in connection to, union with Christ. In fact, we are in Christ. That's how we receive these things. And Paul is speaking to that, even in the midst of this larger discussion. Uh, This idea of union with Christ. One scholar I was reading mentioned that uh, according to his count, and different, different people count it up different ways because sometimes it's implicit and sometimes it's explicit, but he, he said, and I think he may be on to something, he said that in, in Paul's letters alone in the New Testament, there are some 216 separate occurrences where he makes reference to our union with Jesus, either implicitly or explicitly, and that's in Paul alone in the New Testament. Here are some examples, conceptually, how Paul speaks to this. Believers are created in Christ, crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, baptized into Christ and his death, united with Christ in his resurrection, seated with Christ in their heavenly places. Christ is formed in believers and dwells in our hearts. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is in us and we are in him. The church is one flesh with Christ. Believers gain Christ and are found in Christ. See how that could begin to kind of add up. Um, Many have written through the ages of the church on this and reflected a great deal. And if you printed out your bulletin, there are four quotes in there, and that's just culling from a whole raft of different places I could have gone and copying and pasting into you know, what you've got there. One, though, I do want to read to you. The most striking of all that I came across this past week, and it's from John Calvin in the Institutes. In, in reflecting on this, this is what Calvin said. It's the top, if you printed it off, the first one. 
how do we receive those benefits which the Father bestowed on His only begotten Son? Not for Christ's own private use, but that He might enrich poor and needy men. First, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from Him, all that He has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. So how do these things become ours? Union with Christ, that we would be in, have been made in Christ. Uh, some authors have equated a, a good image, a good way of understanding this would be to understand the union with Christ as being like this necklace upon which are these gorgeous, valuable gemstones, gemstones such as justification and sanctification and, and all the other things that I've listed. But they're only held together by this union. Uh, one author I was reading said that we, we need to understand that indeed union with Christ is the very uh, headwater of it all from which we can, we can trace it all to. We've got nothing, put it this way, it goes so far as to say, we have nothing without this idea of, this reality of union with Christ. Again, God has made us one with Christ. We need then to be looking to Him. Looking to Him. Fixing our gaze upon Him. I want to look at three different things as we explore this together for a few minutes this morning. Three different things. Uh, this is the points in the outline. The first is how we are united to Christ in His death. The second is how we are united to Christ in His life. And then third, thirdly, I'll put it this way, experientially, how we are united to Christ by faith. Okay, so th those three things. And really seeing them all, actually, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. So let's take this deep dive here. Uh, Galatians 2, verse 20, what does Paul say? How does he begin? I have been crucified with Christ, full stop. Did you hear what he said? Let's not, let's not um, say, that's well, just hyperbole. What did Paul just say? I have been crucified with Christ. Now, Paul is not speaking of the historical moment in the spring of 33 AD when Jesus was nailed to a cross. He is not speaking of his being present there as though Paul was one of the two thieves crucified there at Golgotha. That's not what he's saying. In fact, we have every reason to believe that Paul wasn't even in Jerusalem at the time. So that's not the sense in which he meant he's crucified with Christ. In fact, he's alive. He's able to write this 15 to 20 years later after the fact, writing this letter to the church in Galatia, reflecting upon these things. And yet he says, I have been crucified with Christ. What is he speaking of? He's speaking of Christ uh, in, in a representative sense. I have been crucified with Christ. He is speaking to Christ having been appointed before eternity or in eternity past, before the creation of the world, Christ being appointed as the representative for his people. And it is out of that, it is only because of that that we can then speak of his having lived in our place and died in our place on our behalf for us, 
as our representative because of this union, this bond that he has with us. That is the sole basis in which we can speak of these things. Paul in Romans 8, Paul in Romans 8, this is, I was saying, I think it was with Stephen, Stephen Lee earlier this week, we could really spend the whole of this time just reading all of these texts that speak of this union. Again, whether these explicit or, or implicit, and one of the implicit passages is Romans 5, verses 18 through 19. It's, it's really quite something, and we need to listen to what he's saying here. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That only makes sense when we understand that we were one in Adam and fell with him. That only makes sense when we understand that we are one with Christ and died and were raised with him. That's the only way Paul's words there make any sense at all. He is saying as a consequence out of the fruit of our union with Christ, we died with him, putting it more graphically, putting it more of a point. We were crucified. As Paul says explicitly, Romans, excuse me, here in Galatians 2, we were crucified with Christ. Or if I could put it this way, when you, you imagine the scene there of Jesus crucified there on the cross, he was there for us right? That's the hope of every believer. He was there for us, but here's the other part of that. We were there with him. He was there for us, but the reality with the spiritual union, we have to say, we were there with him. That's what Paul is saying here in Galatians 2 and in so many places elsewhere. We are united to Christ, made one with him in his death. So think, think of an analogy here, power of attorney, right? Some of, some of us are very acquainted with what, what that means. It's a legal paperwork that's done such that one person who's given this power of attorney therein has the legal right to act to do whatever on behalf of this other party. So much so that whatever the person with power of attorney does, legally speaking, the person that they represent has done themselves. We understand that. That's something of what we're speaking of here. One having acted on behalf of another. Paul, again, what does he say? I have been crucified with Christ. Before we move on to the second point, let's, let's just think for a moment, let's pause for a moment and think about two things that have been put to death by our death. Because we're dead, right? That's what Paul says. We were, we were dead in, we died with Jesus. So two things that died when we died. Now we keep trying to raise them up. <laughs> but two things that died when we died. The first is Pride. Pride. There's a no place for pride. Our accomplishments, our record, our merits carry no currency in the bank of heaven. He will have nothing of it. There's no exchange to be done there. Okay? There's no currency for our stuff. So, 
We have to put that away. We've died with Christ. The, 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 and the age, the, the, the lifetime we've spent of, of competing with one another, of comparing ourselves with one another is over. It's, it's, it's done. Or if I can put it, just put it this crassly, the Lord cares nothing for the merits of a corpse. And we died with Jesus. Which, by the way, is incredibly humbling when you begin to think about it. And that goes right to the root of so many of our divisions. Think of the consequences of this. Our having died with Jesus. So it's an end to pride. It's also an end to despair. Because, again, having died with Christ... Nothing is being held against us. No corpse is held liable or guilty for anything, right? We died. We died, which means what? We are now finally free. Friends, you are free. You are free in Christ, having died with Christ. You are free to acknowledge your wrong. You are free to admit your guilt. You are free to confess your sin. You're free because you have died with Christ. It's an end to all of our pride. It's an end to all of our despair, which, by the way, that opens up the doorway towards reconciliation, towards things being made right between one another. We were united to Christ, made one with Christ in his death. Oh, that we would look to him. Well, that then takes us to the sequel, the follow-up, because we have to go to the other side, and that is we're not just united to Christ in his life, but united to Christ in his death. Uh, Excuse me, not just in his life, but in his... I'm getting it all confused. I wrote it down wrong. I can see I wrote it down wrong. Now I'm getting myself confused. Okay. United to Christ in his death, united to Christ in his life. Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Again, did you hear what Paul said? Let us not say this is hyperbole. Let us take the man at his word. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What is he saying? First, we need to say what he's not saying, and that is he is not denying individual personality. It's not, we're we're not saying, Paul Paul does not, you just look at his story, look at his history, read the book of Acts, read his letters, and you can see Paul as a man, as an individual, as a person, does not disappear. He is still an individual. His personhood is still there. His personality is still there. The man was redeemed. He was restored by Jesus, not erased by Jesus. You need to understand that this is not in any way to be confused with Eastern mysticism where we are absorbed into the eternal or disappear into the divine. That is not what union with Jesus is about in any way at all. What union with Jesus is about is a living spiritual bond, union, tie with Him. But it has two parts to it. 
in terms of our being united to him in his, in his being raised. And that is, first, his, his obedience is ours and his life is ours. His obedience is ours and his life is ours. Definitively, definitively, our sanctification is actually already done. Because we are one with the Holy One. You understand? Hang on, I'm coming back to the other side. But stay with me here. Definitively speaking, one with the Holy One means our sanctification is already complete. How does God see you? As He sees Jesus with the blemishless record of His obedience. It has been given and granted to you, follower of Christ. Your sanctification in a real sense, mysterious but nonetheless real, has already been accomplished in Christ. You are holy before God. Ours is, in a way, simply to live out of that, to lay hold of that. We are one with the living one. That's the definitive side. But we can also say that his, not just is his record ours, but his life is ours. So now we speak not just of what theologians refer to as definitive sanctification, but the other side of that is what theologians call progressive sanctification. Meaning that we, this is what enables us, allows us, because his life is in us, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul says in Philippians 2. We become what we are. I know that's mysterious. I'm glad you're sitting down. I, it's hard to get our heads around this. Some of us are, my brain's about to blow. I get it. Welcome to the mystery of the gospel. But that's what we're getting at here. That's what we see here in the New Testament. It, because of Christ's life at work within us, we become increasingly by His grace what we already are in His sight. As He takes, as the, through the Holy Spirit, takes the gospel and applies it and works it down into the depths and crannies and crags of our hearts, changing us from the inside out, making us to be more like Him. You see, it's not just a legal status or change that takes place when you become one with Jesus. It's a vital, spiritual, alive part that we have to speak of. This union with Him, this life that we share with Him because He has shared His with us. Case in point, John 15. This may be a familiar passage to, to some of you. Uh, John chapter 15 where Jesus, John is, is quoting here of, of Jesus' words about the, the vine and the branches. Let me read these to you. This is what he's talking about. And again, this, we ought not to read this as just some mumbo-jumbo hyperbole. It has to mean something. It has to mean something. I am the true vine, John 15, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that, bear, that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, 
you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, this doesn't mean anything at all. This is just poetic gobbledygook. Unless Jesus is living in us. Unless his obedience and his life is actually ours because of union with him. These are stunning, stunning, stunning things for us to consider. Again, what does Paul say? Back to Galatians 2. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's take the man at his word. And as you do, it's, it like gives you a completely different lens with which to read the life of the, of the Apostle Paul. And to read the book of Acts, it comes alive for you. To read the, the annals of the early church, and you begin to realize, oh my word, literally, oh my God, something supernatural happened here. Something swept upon these people and changed them. And nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. I, I mean by that, I mean the hope of the gospel and the reality of these promises and the reality of how these things are ours in Christ as a consequence, as the fruit of our union with Christ. So, so think with me, the next time, whatever the, the setting may be, the next time you hear Jesus speaking to you in terms of, through, through his words, speaking to you of the need to trust and obey his commands or the need to uh, serve and submit to his ways and his path. Friend, hearing these things, knowing these things, the reality of his life in you, you need not hear that call and receive it with a sense of dismal doubt and dismay. But rather, with hopeful optimism. Because who is alive in you? What has Paul said? What has the man told us? I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is to be our experience as well as followers of Jesus, made one with Christ in his, his obedience and in his life. Oh, how we need to look to him. Which then takes us to the third part, the third point. What does this look like? You know, come Monday morning or Sunday afternoon, what does this look like, fleshing it out, living it out? Well, experientially, is where I want to go with this. United to Christ in his death, in his life, by faith. United to Christ in his death, in his life, by faith. So here we need to read the whole of Galatians 2.20. Is it on the, can we get that on the screen? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, Paul is giving us a window, a glimpse here into his own personal experience that, again, is meant to be 
instructive for our own. And he speaks here of the role of faith, the role of faith in the Christian life. It's not just how we enter the Christian life. That's oftentimes where we stop talking about it. But it's also the means by which we are enabled to live the Christian life by faith. So the role of faith, faith in specifically Christ, Paul is speaking of here, with a very present sense, a very present force in his words. He says, in the life I now live, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So there is the sense of this ongoing, continual, daily, leaning, looking, relying upon Jesus that he's referring to here. And it's not just a present force to it, but there's a really, look at the, the, the singular, first person singular pronouns that Paul uses there in the last part of that verse. Me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a sense, no few commentators have noted, there's a sense in which you almost get the sense Paul just dropped the pen at this point and stepped away. I can't, I, 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 I can't believe it. Me? He knows who it is who loves him and as a consequence of that love gave himself for him, for Paul, for Paul. Deeply present, deeply personal. Paul's own experience points to this, and in doing so, it gives us a, a desperately needed reminder, a desperately needed reminder that we all face, and, and, and Paul's alluding to it here. He's touching on it here. The pressures that we face. He says, the life I now live in the flesh which is oftentimes in Paul's writings a reference to weakness, a reference to, to struggle. And, and, and that being in this case likely a reference to our, the, the doubts that we face in believing these things are true and in the counter-narrative we are constantly being bombarded with by the world around us. And in fact, it's interesting when you look at the context of this passage in the flow of the book of Galatians, that's exactly what you see. When you go back in, earlier in chapter 2 and you read, why is Paul even bringing all this up? Why is he having to address so forcefully this matter of our standing security with God being by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in the context of this, this matter of union with Jesus? Because Peter, an apostle, and Barnabas, Paul's friend and partner in ministry, had backslidden into hypocritical legalism, and Paul is having to confront them and push back and counter the counter-narrative. So you see, here's the thing. For every one of us, it happened. Paul knew it true of his own heart. He could see it happening with Peter and Barnabas, and it's true of every one of us. The gospel is like a new language that we are just learning how to speak. It has a completely different grammar to it, a completely like different customs and ways of thinking and living. It's a new life that takes time learning to live. 
and it doesn't happen all at, all at once. Not all at once. There is that definitive side and progressive side at the same time. We are, we've been made new and are being made new at the same time. So 1976, Lieutenant Victor Belenko of the Soviet Air Defense Force broke away, broke out of formation in a training flight uh, somewhere over the skies of Russia and flew his MiG-25 Foxbat to Japan. And by the way, this was not on his orders or flight plan for the day. Uh, he had intended to land at an American military base. He didn't have enough fuel. He got a little lost. Ended up landing at Hokodate Airport, a civilian airport in Japan. He was immediately brought into custody by the Japanese police, upon which he insisted and he demanded asylum in the United States. 1976, this is at the height of the Cold War. This was a thing. And by the way, the MiG-25 was quite a catch for the CIA and the rest because they really thought they had something uh, with this plane. So from here on out, Viktor Belenko is no longer under Russian rule. Definitively, boom, a break has been made. He actually becomes a United States citizen. He lives somewhere today out in California. But you've got to know that he had so much to unlearn. You've got to know that there had to be so many days when the man had to bring out his papers and say, yeah, that's right. That's who I am. That's who I am. He was new, but being made new. At the same time, at the same time, there's this definitive and progressive reality for us as followers of Jesus that we have to live out by, by faith. We have this changeless status such that nothing we do or fail to do will undo any of it. We have this changeless status, and yet at the same time, this changed ability, the power and presence of Jesus is in us, is in us, made new but being made new at the same time because we are one with him, made one with him, and we need to look to him in faith daily so through the day in everything. Um, I'm going off script now at this point as we're landing this plane. Um, This is not originally how I was intended to end this message. Uh, I just was unsettled this morning and I'm going in a different direction uh, why press into this why do we need to press in, into this question again those gifts justification such that we can know we are no longer condemned sanctification we are no longer in bondage and dwelled by the spirit we are no longer alone authority in spiritual conflict we are not pawns in some cosmic game Those are all amazing. And when you think in terms of of those gifts they are addressing, there couldn't be greater needs. There could not be greater needs. There could not be greater blessings. But how are they ours? Union with Christ. 
That's what precedes all of that. That's what comes before all of that. You think back to the importance that the Apostle Paul is clearly trying to convey in the number of times, the 237, I think it was, times that he speaks to this in his writings, and he's not the only one. You think of the quotes that I, that I read, uh, uh, well, the one that I read just a moment ago, the images that we could use. I, uh, one personal image, it came to my mind, it was actually over, over the Christmas holiday, and I, I'll see how this lands on you. Maybe it'll help. I hope it helps. Let's, let's call it a pseudo-hypothetical scenario on Christmas morning. You're sitting in the room. It's the extended family gathered there around the tree. And the, the gifts are being given. And, and it's all gone fine. It's all gone well. There are generations of people present there in the room. Four, in fact. Uh, you, you happen to stand at generation number three. Your parents are present. You are present. Your children are present. And your children's children are present. There are four generations present. And over the course of the gift exchange from the oldest generation, the fourth generation, come these envelopes with names. And, you know, it might be money, it might be checks, and everybody in the room receives them. Doesn't matter how old they are. You, generation number three, your children, generation number two, and then down over here, these itty-bitties, they also get them. And you think to yourself, how'd that happen? Right? I mean, you stop and think for a moment. Just How did these two toddlers, just for argument's sake, how did they end up with envelopes in their hand? They don't even know what they have, by the way. But how did they end up with these envelopes in their hand? By virtue of union with their parents and virtue of their union, their union with you and your union with You have to trace it upstream. Now, what's the right response of anybody in the room to the giver of the gift? Thanks for them. Not the thing, not the piece of paper, but for the person. Gratitude and honor and affection given towards them and wonder especially as you increase that length of line, wonder that any of you are included at all. I don't know how that lands on you. It's a very simple scenario. Now amplify it. Yes, let us be thankful for the gifts that in Christ we have. Let us not be foolish. Let us be intensely thankful for these gifts that he has bestowed upon us. But oh, would we prize the one through whom they come? Oh, we prize the one through whom they come. Union with him. God has made us one with Jesus. Let us look to him. Can we pray? Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these assurances. Thank you for this bond. We, we just, we can hardly get our minds around this. It must, it has to be important. It has to be significant. You're talking about it. You're revealing it to us again and again and again through the scriptures. Oh, would you grab hold of our minds, our hearts, our our imaginations to see, to understand, to live out of these things. We are one with Christ in whose name we pray.